Where did you like to play as a child? I ask this question a lot because childhood memories shape us into the people we become. Welcome to Play It Forward, a worthy podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Ritson. Thanks so much for joining me. I talk a lot about play. I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm an educator, and I'm a playground designer. So I want to gather some of my favorite people who are advocates of children and nature and create a space to have an honest conversation about getting more kids outside. The power of play is very often underestimated and I think we all need a little more play in our lives. Hi, Lucas. Um, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners upon the land upon which we meet, those uh, and pay my respects to those elders, both past, present and emerging, who also met under this blue sky, in this place, to nurture and care for their young ones, to teach them love and respect of their culture and to take care of both the earth, the land, the air and the sky. Thank you so much for that acknowledgement. We're here with the phenomenal, loving, caring Heather Kerr. Um, Heather Kerr has been an early childhood educator for over four decades. And, That's it. <laughs> um, all the way from um, joining us from Victoria, from Bob Up, Woman Jacker. Mm-hmm. Yes, I got it right. I win. <laughs> um, and we crossed paths once many years ago. And mm-hmm. I thought Heather would be an amazing guest to have on the show today um, because, as you heard in her voice there, she's got so much love for what she does. She's an inspiration. I was blown away when I met Heather. I went down to Bob Up, Woman Jacker for a PD. And then we met and it was amazing and really inspiring. So I thought it'd be a great chance, get Heather on, share her story, her personal story, and also some practices that she has developed at Bob Up Woman Jacker um, to share with you and some really handy hints and tips to really embed an amazing practice, not only as an educator, but for those parents listening as well. So thank you so much for joining us, Heather. It's my pleasure, Lucas. I must admit, I, having listened to some of your other podcasts, I, I think it's very much a mutual admiration society. Oh. <laughs> and I think that's probably what the world is needing, has probably always needed, probably even more so, is people who are passionate, knowledge, committed and caring. I, I just think that's such an incredible, important thing. Yeah, and it's it's about just modelling and getting that information mm. out there and um, that mm. power of vulnerability. Um, mm. from the mm. educators and the inspiring people in our sector doing amazing work and elevating mm. everyone to a level what inspire mm. the future generations. And I saw yes. that firsthand. So could you tell us a bit about your story? I'm familiar mm-hmm. with your car trip and packing up, um, <laughs> but um, would you like to share a bit of backstory with our listeners? Okay. Well, with with 40, four decades, I don't talk in years, I talk in decades, That's, I kind of have earned that badge of early childhood. I originally came to Melbourne from WA, got a scholarship to come and study, to become a teacher of the deaf, went back and I've spent most of my life in WA in Perth um, and then literally on the day I was due to retire, um, uh, working and I've worked across the field. I worked in early childhood from early diagnosis of hearing impaired children uh, went back to university, which is something I encourage everyone to do, to go and upgrade your, your qualifications, especially as a mature age student in your 40s, 50s, because then you know what you don't know. And then for a lecturers, from a lecturer's point of view, they just love students like us because we're just so thirsty and so hungry. Um, did postgrad studies in early childhood, then worked um, through a range of jobs. I couldn't get a permanent job for 10 years, so I got to work across a range of uh, early childhood settings then got a job with the education department where I had the opportunity to plan a fantastic uh, outdoor play area in uh, a government school, which was terrific, where we had um, five prep groups, which are the, which is the year play, uh, pre-primary, which is the year before formal learning. So that was very exciting. Um, and on the day I decided to retire and go travel around Australia on a, in a camper van, I got offered the position to come and work at Bubba Womanjeka in a family and children's centre and it took me 30 seconds to just say, yeah, I can do that. Gave away just about everything I had, packed up my little car, my little Honda Jazz and drove across Australia, which is something else I recommend everybody should do, <laughs> solo especially. <laughs> um, and since being at Bubba, I have a couple of mantles. 
uh, outdoor environment uh, coordinator, sustainability officer, general go-to person. Um, I do quite a lot of work um, in mentoring, I think. That's one of the things. I think it's really important that people have around them people who are knowledgeable, um, who so that things aren't just whatever the latest fashion or fad or particular focus or topic is, but people have that depth of knowledge and that ability to have a really deep understanding and, uh, and an insight, I guess, from it. And I guess from that depth of understanding comes that ability to not always solve a problem, but you kind of go, I, um, I've either seen this before so I possibly know what might work or what might not work, or you just are very confident with the fact that, yeah, this is a hard one. Let's just see how we can progress through this. So, um, and I was just thinking about my story. So I've, it's been an interesting one. I think it's a combination of, for me as an educator, it's been, I think, constantly realising there is just always so much more to learn. There's so much more to learn about children and how children learn. And I think the greatest gift I've got as I've got older, despite the fact I'm a chatterbox, is that around children, I become, I'm very comfortable being very quiet and very still. Um, just And so that you're in that mode of observing them, respecting them, um, and just taking on board and being their most important advocate at that time. Does that kind of give you it that, does, that it does 40 indeed. years in four, four minutes? 40 <laughs> years in four minutes. Good summary. And just we've we've got the picture outline now, but let's colour mm. colour it in. Um, okay. The story of Bubba. Um, mm. how, give us a, a brief overview of Bubba okay. and their values so we can tie you into that and then we yep. can delve a bit deeper. Okay. So Bubba Woomanjeka, which is um, welcome children in the language of the first people, um, and it was named Bubup as part of the reconciliation plan built uh, by the City of Port Phillip Council because there were two council-built uh, family and children's centres built. Our centre is a very large one. We cater up to 155 children a day, but within that we also have our maternal child health centre. We also have a two-session French kinder. So the whole kindergarten's run in French by French-trained um, educators. We also have a playgroup facility that, um, and our playgroup coordinator manages about 19 playgroups. Mm. So um, we have eight rooms, uh, so, and that's, so that's some of that sessional kinder, some of that's not, some of that's uh, what we would call long daycare, um, right through from six weeks up until uh, kinder. So I think the thing that's been really important for Bubba is that we've always been very proactive about what are the things that are really important uh, and really looking at, oh, um, it's, it's really hard to not sound cliched, but it's that authentic um, connection to children, with families, how do we move forward? Like a big push for us has been around sustainability, which is what your um, PD was, and then really looking about it. What does that look like every day? Because people do, oh, yes, well, we turn the lights off and we have the compost bin and a worm. And I did a presentation at Sustainability Victoria on um, uh, sustainability is so much more than a worm farm. We've abandoned our worm farm simply because they don't survive in 44-degree heat. Yes. You know, and I was working with one of our educators who's a Buddhist and uh, one of the worms, and I said, oh, I just died. And, of course, to them, every living thing is sacred. Hmm. And it was just incredible. And I thought, oh, we've got 10,000 worms in here. So what we do is we compost, but we also have zero food waste. So every single bit of food waste at Baba is now managed and handled, either removed or we composted. Um, so that's been a huge training for us, um, taking on board all our educators and making sure they've gone through that and having a real understanding of that everything, every impact, every every action that we have has an impact upon the planet. So that's yeah. been really important. Yeah. Um, and I think it's also too about making sure that you've got this really practical, effective and manageable processes that you everyone can engage in. Like we've had a big push about our, our green cleaning, so all our cleaning products now are plant-based, a lot of microfibers, a lot of hot soapy water, that sort of thing, so everything's grey water friendly. 
um, and really being very aware of the environment and what the environment might look like and how we can take care of it. So it's more than just growing a veggie patch, yeah, um, which is very a nice idea, but, you know, some seeds take a long time to grow. Yeah. <laughs> and I think and you get 150 new we... seeds each year. <laughs> well, grow. I guess for me too, and maybe some of it comes with age, um, I'll often see posts up on, oh, there's a notice about we're going to do this, 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 and the notice has been printed up laminated. and then laminated. Yeah. yeah. One of my observations um, of what you do really well, and you touched on it briefly with the yes. um, healthcare um, yes. service as well. So yes. what I observe is there's a huge priority on the social sustainability yes. aspect, yes. on the social pillar of your sustainability that then in turn – feeds yes. in and you can reflect upon your envi environmental practice. Yes. So prioritising that social engagement first and foremost and for a centre yes. of around 150, um, mm. for someone that's been there, it does not yes. seem like that. So maybe you could talk to us a bit about your what that social priority looks like in no. application and how yep. the um, – I really observe that your numbers are actually a power because it's a power to you, because mm -hmm. there is mm -hmm. that stigma around a big centre like that mm -hmm. being dismissed mm -hmm. as too many. But yes. if anyone comes and see your at Bub Up, it will mm -hmm. really prove that mindset wrong. Mm -hmm. So maybe just speak to that social priority and how it helps. Okay. Okay. Well, actually, let's trust you to be so insightful around that, uh, Lucas. Um, the social piece, I think that's... You're right, that being large has some great advantages, also has some disadvantages because mm. sometimes getting information to 65 staff, some who are part-time, can be challenging. So that yes. part's been interesting. So our social connection for that is, well, from the moment you walk through the door, there's a drop-off point for our recycling things that parents can drop yep. off and which is used. And also um, the other thing is too, like we have a, um, what would you call it, a secondhand clothing swap thing. Yes. So as your baby grows out of things, and this is just totally free, so that secondhand, uh, as they grow out of things, then um, you can donate clothes and then, of course, at the moment, you know, making sure everything's laundered and everything's set for 72 hours with COVID at the moment. Um, and then you just take from that what you need. We also have the pantry. Yep. So as you walk out the door, you know, on those days when it's just so hard, you grab a packet of pasta, you can grab a jar of the pasta sauce, and you've got dinner. Yeah. We cater for a range of families, obviously families that have fabulous uh, lifestyles to people in social housing who, you know, financially might struggle or might have uh, some mental health and social issues and that sort of thing. So that catering for a whole range of people. I think one of the other things that we do so very well is uh, we have a range of our educators, very multicultural based, so that, yeah. that everyone's bringing a new, their unique part of the world, their understanding of how they interact and connect with the world. They're bringing that into Bub Up. Um, we do an awful lot around our staff health and wellbeing. Um, we've started, uh, we have the shout out um, uh, chart up in the staff room. We have uh, yoga that currently um, is free of charge. Every second Thursday, we have a psychologist who's available to staff to come and, and uh, it, they make an appointment can book through that. Um, I think the other thing is too, is that we really pride ourselves, I think, on welcoming people, welcoming families and making it a very welcoming space. Yeah. Um, it's very interesting, both the uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, their flags, their, uh, we have that very available, we make it very clear. On all our emails, we have a, sta have a statement now that we respect and value and honour their input. Um, after attending a PD on, um, on one of the rainbow parents, we've also made that very clear that gender diversity is welcome. That's a big part of what we're doing at the moment, the Being Equal program, where very, there's these six key messages that we're constantly um embedding into our practice that children are brave, children are strong, children are kind, children are, can do anything, right? Yep. So there's that range of social initiatives, that social connection that we make. Um, I, I think the other thing is to, because it's a place that's emotionally very safe to work, which is an observation I made when I first walked in, um, that 
it's something that a lot of people comment on. They walk in and they feel very welcomed. Mm. It's the eye contact. It's the hello. It's the greeting. It's the let's see what we can what we can what can we do to help you. Yeah, and my observation is it's it's a professionalism yeah. of it and how they can how the staff and the leadership conduct themselves that then reflect yeah. the value onto yeah. those families that walk in. They're like, I value my yeah. role and honor that, and I honor yeah. your child just through my observation. Um, going back to implementing those practices and programs you mentioned, the kitchen, <laughs> the um, what would you call it? The wardrobe, the community wardrobe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> recycling. Shop, shop. Yeah. So what would be your tips? Because we want to move beyond the token. And what yes. I observe is these things start out with a really positive intention, um, yes. but then it, the novelty wears off and yes. it gets left to the wayside. It gets it yes. gets forgotten about or not prioritised yes. and then it just ends up, well, well, just pull that out. It's not working. How do you move yes. beyond that? How do you take it from initial excitement and that you're doing yes. something cool to maintaining it for such a long time. Cause we're talking about you implementing these things probably like three years ago when I was yeah. there and it was before then that you implemented. Yep. So it's into five. Yes. Yes. Five, six years. I think it was a couple of things as much as we you know it's, I think it's having that conversation at the beginning, people to kind of put their hand up and say, yes, that will be a part of that. Cause that often these things start because someone's enthusiastic and excited about it, having some policy around it. And I think it's just watching it, yep. maintaining it. There's always someone I know, like with the swap shop, there's someone who's constantly going through that. Um, and it wasn't just becoming a place where parents could drop off stuff. Yep. We started to have to cull. Um, it's the same with books. People say, oh, I've finished with this, you know. Yeah. Um, so we were a bit like a bit like the op shop. It would be easy for us to drop things off. Yeah. But no, so now we're making decisions around um, with books and clothing. No, thank you, but no thank you. That can either that either needs to be recycled or dropped off at an op shop. So starting yeah. to make those decisions, having someone responsible for it. Yeah, it's, so do you allocate one person to be responsible or yes. is it a communal? At the moment, it's something from that the girls at the front office do. Okay. And that's, and we've changed. Actually, yep. that's a really good question too. We had it, I don't know if it's a Marie Kondo influence. It's really interesting. It's gone from being folded and stacked up because yep. that was another thing. You know, again, by watching and observing and going, you know, that's not really being used very much because if you wanted something at the bottom of the pile, you took something out and everything would fall down. Yep. So we've gone from that to hanging things. Oh, good. So it's much easier. Yep. So it was about that that ease of access so that people could see what's on. Oh, I, you know, oh, I need a jumper or I need a whatever. Yeah. Um, and just go and get it. Does that, does yeah. that make sense? 100%. So what I hear is you just reflect on it and yes. make it accessible. Like it's yes. right at the front counter. So who's going to manage yes. it? The front yes. staff. And yes. then if it's accessible, and this is just not reflective in those the pantry and things like this. You could use yes. this framing in the learning and those community, yes. other community um, services you have. If they're accessible, mm. they're going to get used. Mm. So maybe that's, that's a point right. for our listeners to start on. Just mm. reflect mm -hmm. on your practice and say, is this actually accessible to our community? Mm. Is it accessible to the staff that are going to maintain it yes. as well? Um, let's switch gears a bit. Um, Can I add one more yes. thing to that? Absolutely. Keep it, ti keep it tidy. Yeah. Okay, it's a bit like a shared house. Yeah. You know, if you keep it tidy and pleasant looking, that's another thing. It looks, it, it's, this is something that's important to us. It reflects that. This is something that's important to us. This is something that we value. Yes. And this is something that's, um, of, of hope we hope is of value to you and a gift to you. So keeping it tidy and pleasant looking. Yeah. I um, share with our staff constantly, we're only getting judged on our worst piece of work. Yes. Um, so yes. if we can reflect on a environment that families are walking into, yes, you yes. might have had a really good intention to recycle those Coke bottles and make hanging at gardens. Yes. But yes. if you've got 20 dead plants yes. and it's just a reflection of like, well, you didn't manage that. That's right. Um, and you've got a swinging wall of doom, of death. Yes, swinging wall of doom. <laughs> um, and if you can't care well, for a exactly plant, right. you're caring yeah. for my child. Um, so <laughs> I, what else? 
you see, Lucas, you see, I totally agree. I, yeah, I totally agree. That's fine. And also, too, in the way that things are presented at the front, right? When you first walk in, we have a beautiful acknowledgement of country, yeah. um, large bowl full of lovely natural things, you know, bachia nuts and, and seed pods and uh, an Indigenous map of our local area, that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's very valuing and honouring too. It says, so you are welcome here. Yeah. Another thing that um, I love that really went above and beyond and reflects the authentic practice of Bub Up is your community support and your collection of cans for the local oh, yes. community member. Do you want to share with our yes. listeners that story? Yes. Now, that's a really interesting. It's a local gentleman who travels around and um, to supplement his income and also to give him a focus through the day, shuffles along the street and uh, collects cans uh, because, of course, they have a, a value. I think I, I, it's some small amount, but anyway. So one of the things that we do is we have a special uh, area, bin area, for empty cans and with the sign saying to the cleaners, <laughs> do not empty this bin. Now, um, this gentleman is brought in um, every once a week and we also have a buddy for him who is um, another guy and they come in in the kitchen, uh, they have a meal cooked for him. He also gets a, a week's supply of food cooked for him and they sit down and they read the local paper and they talk about the footy and horses and so, and it's done in our front atrium and sometimes the children, you know, children are brought in and say, hello, how are you, um, use his name, which I won't, uh, yes. just to protect that for him um but we just it's just it's a very visible moment i guess for everyone to say hey you are very welcome everyone is welcome yeah um we got straight into the contents there but i wouldn't i'd be um left hanging if i didn't ask you where did you play as a child oh okay yeah i've been thinking about this actually while i was waiting for you to contact me well, because for me, that's that's like 60 years ago. So I've kind of got a, a couple. Um, as a very young child, because I grew up uh, in WA, in Cannington, which was like seven miles away from Perth, where I grew up on a third of an acre and very clay land, which meant every winter there were heaps of puddles and the puddles were full of taddies, of frogs' eggs and tadpoles. So it was obviously a very, very healthy environment because, you know, our frogs are our indicator, our biosecurity people of how how uh, good our environment is. So a lot of that, we had a chook run, all those sorts of things. But I just had lots of space. We used to play out in the street. Uh, all the kids used to play cricket. I don't remember footy, but cricket. And I'd be on the outfield usually with little kids in tow, always, you know, either kid in a babe, uh, pram or cuddling them or talking to them or pluck. So that, yeah. So my future uh, career was, you know, established by the time I was three or four. Um, and then as as I got older, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, when I got a bike, it was just off. Um, you just go riding anywhere, even across very busy Albany Highway, which is a death trap now, but down to Canning River and Nicholson Bridge, which used to be Nicky Bridge, jumping into the water, not always in a bathing costume, swimming with the leeches that would stick to your legs, you know, climbing through the mud and the slime. I have great, great fond memories of doing that. Yeah, yeah. and um, fast forward, you're interacting with this future generation. Yes. Um, how does your reflection on your childhood um, affect how you engage and what you offer for the learning for the children at mm. Bubba? Mm, that's a great question. And I think that's a really important one. That's a part of both reflective and critical reflective practice things. So what did I have? What was so great about it? And, of course, there's a couple of things that really jump up to, my, to me. It's not only the freedom that I had as a child to go there, but something I'm very aware of is my parents. I had two working parents, which is very unusual in the 50s. My mum had her own little business. Um, so she was, my parents had free weekends mm. because we would be off and away. So they had a lot of free time. They, you know, we didn't need, not that we had TV, not until the mid-50s, but, um, you know, we didn't need to stay home and watch TV and be entertained. So they had a lot of free time, so it was a lot less stress. So taking that into what does that then look like for us, I think, well, there's some challenges around that because a lot of our educators didn't necessarily grow up in an outdoor environment. 
a lot of our educators, because they not weren't raised in Australia, grew up in apartments. Mm. So they haven't experienced what it's like to be outside. So a lot of them even have anxiety around anything that has six legs and moves and wriggles, you know, insects, things that... Um, quite convinced that a snake's going to come out and bite them just because it's, you know, they're somewhere near a bush. So overcoming that, getting them to become really aware of the environment, one of the things I really want um, our educators that I try to just be there in that present moment is when they go up with their babies and their toddlers and say, so so what are we seeing out here? What are we feeling out here? Okay. So in a place like Melbourne, we have very distinct um uh, seasons, especially throughout the day. So are we feeling the air on our on our face? A baby can feel that on our cheek. We can feel that as we put our hands up. We can feel the wind moving because that's all that is. It's, wind is only air that's moving. We can look at the leaves in the gum trees that are overhanging into our, into our outdoor space because we're fortunate to have a large outdoor space. Mm. So we're seeing leaves moving. We're looking at things. We're feeling things. We're looking down at the ground, walking on and as much as possible. I try to get our children barefoot so that they get all that lovely feedback through that. But also getting our educators to, to be aware of it. It's that lovely quote from um, uh, David Attenborough, you know, you only, what is it, the thing that you know that you love and the thing that you love that you'll take care of. Mm. Um, and that's true. So for people who haven't grown up with that sense of I love the outdoors, I love what is available outdoors and how refreshing that is and how important that and critical and spiritual that is for me, then to impart that onto um, the children in their care. Yes. Does that? Yeah, um, and just to extend on that, what's some techniques you can use? Because it's hard, like we can leverage on nostalgia a lot of the time and say, where yes. did you play? Yes. That's eliminated for people that haven't yes. had it. And my yep. projection is we're going to start seeing a lot more children and yep. future generations not being able to link into a previous experience. So, and because yep. you're in quite a dense, you do have beautiful yes. parkland surrounding you, but it is dense living. Um, yep. how, what's some techniques you use to get your educators and children to value nature um, when they don't have a previous experience to base it on? Another great question, Lucas. And anyone would think that I'd set you up for that. I've got two beautiful answers for that. Three probably. Okay, let's start with the first one. Friday, 10 days ago, I was part of a phone, asked to be part of a phone call with a group of parents who were keen to start a nature or bush playgroup. Excellent. And so that was it. So we have parents who want to do the playgroup model, but in an outdoor setting, in yep. a place, in a, in, a, in a bush setting. Now, fortunately, next door to us is Lagoon Reserve, which is a, literally, yep. by, as the name suggests, is a lagoon that's been reclaimed. And about 12 years ago, the local community, um, through the council, put uh, planted in a bush perimeter around it. So one of the things that we talked about with starting this bush playgroup is that parents would go down and meet and just wander through the bush because I say, oh, we're looking for activities to do. And I'm going, you don't need to. Mm. The bush is the activity. You know, I couldn't think of anything worse than go into the bush, collect a few leaves, come back, open up a glue stick, stick on a few dried leaves, stick it on a bit of paper and stick it on the fridge and say, hey, that was playgroup. Yeah. Let's just go and explore the bush. Let's just be there. You know, push the bushes aside. At the moment, the wattle is flowering. It is Beautiful. glorious, just beautiful. The scent, the colour, no wonder it's a national symbol. Um, walking over the, the litter, the leaf litter that's on the ground, the fallen logs, all of that. Um, and in the middle of all of that is this huge oval. And though that's not bush, that's a large space. Mm. And a lot of inner city kids never have exposure to a large open space. And they can get quite overwhelmed. So that's our bush playgroup. That's with, with the comfort and care of mum. The other thing we've been doing now, not long after I think I um, first met you, we do bush kinder. Now, a lot of bush kinders, they go for the day. We don't. We do our bush bubba bush, which is we take a group of children, a small group of children, um, and we take them through the bush. And we take our educators mm. so that they get to see what it's like. And one of the things when we finished our time in the bush, which might be half an hour, might be an hour, um, is that we have a conversation with them. How did that feel? What did you notice? What did mm. you do? And the realisation that they don't have to have an activity other than be there and be safe with the children. Mm. Following on from that is I've just part of my time, because I've been working from home, 
and this is something I have thoroughly enjoyed, is using the photographs that we've had of the children, I've made some simple PowerPoint type books that'll be printed up onto card, not laminated, onto card so that we can then reuse them um, and it's much more sustainable of some of the language that we can use around when we're in the bush. When we're in the bush, we can look up and there's beautiful photographs of a rosella up in a gum tree. When we're in the, when we're in the bush, we can look down. There's a group of children with their bottoms up in the air all looking down and there's this tiny little ladybird on a piece of grass. Mm. So I think it's being able to, through personal experience, because that's always the most valid, personal experience and connection with what the bush or being outside can be, that then we can, people make their own connection then and then they love the fact of being able to go into the bush and being outside. What do you think it is that gets gives the educators over that hurdle and gives them the confidence and um, to hold that bush kinder program in higher esteem? Because the default is like mm. you try to implement it and it's the yep. snake chat, the safety yep. chat, the yep. risk chat, yep. the yep. I can't because chat. Um, yep. What flips? What flipped it for you? And the okay, it's, it's a bit like it's a bit like the keeping it tidy. Um, I think it was having me at the moment, which is just someone knowledgeable, mm. passionate, and when I'm out with there, I'm very aware my role is mentoring. So as much as I'm supervising the children, who are all in high-vis vests, that's another thing. If you yep. send the children out into the bush in their regular clothes, guess what? A lot of them look the same colour as uh, uh, one of the bushes. So yeah. put them in their high-vis vests and you can see them from, you know, 50, 100 metres away. Um, one of the – I think, too, the other thing was sitting down and, and talking to the educators and saying, okay, and we had a very clear management plan. The fact that we weren't there all day – we take our safety pack, we take all our uh, things to make sure, you know, anyone who's on medication, uh, EpiPens, uh, puffers, anything like that. So that's all there. Uh, water, um, yeah. if we need to, go into the toilet beforehand. Um, and the fact that we just start off for a short time. So yeah. as much as we go out, we're watching the children, but I'm also watching the educators. Yeah. Okay. So setting up a model of how we might talk about that. One of the things that first happened when we went out, the educators would be holding on to the children as they climbed onto a log or walked along a log, or I can't do that, I want to get up there, oh, you know, and lifting them up. And so going through the, okay, so let's see if we didn't do that. What might happen if? And it's that great question. I, you know, and it's that lovely sentence at the moment. Um, if the child says, I, I can't climb up, I can't get up, and you go, can't get up yet. Yeah, which yeah. means, yes, it's aspirational. Yeah. You will get there. You will be able to do that. And I can help you, but that doesn't mean I actually physically have to lift you, which yeah. is not only an occupational safe and healthy thing. It's a thing of, okay, if you can't do that yet, what is A, you'll be able to do that sometime in the future should you choose to, but also what is it you can do now? Let's go and fight. So that's a bit of problem solving, mm -hmm. all those sorts of things. So it was, and I think one of the other things was the pushing of the bushes aside so the children could walk through them. And I just would quietly say, Let's see if we don't do that. Let's see what happens. And the child would go up to it and stop, which would be interesting, you know, because they were so used to having these, everyone, if you like, um, not a helicopter parent, a steamroller parent, you know, steamroller educator, someone who would level the, the, the surface in front of you so that there was no obstacle, nothing that was too, yeah. that, nothing that would be an impedance. And one of the best things I think of all is after a few episodes, the children would be so excited when we say, oh, it's Bubba Bush, we're going to Bubba Bush. They would be so excited. Mm. And so that to me is a great indicator of how much they love it. And the educators would see that. Um, a lot of them were concerned that because we were in this huge open space, the children will run away. They will, are going, well, that's our supervision. We have a supervision of a certain age. It's one adult, two children. Mm. So the whole time your eyes are on two children and I'm there and I'm on uh, – keeping an eye on educators and children. Yeah. Does that so, help answer yeah, some of that? I think the summary would be it was your through your mentoring, yes. you, you minimise the uncertainty. Yes. So it yes. was like uncertainty and in interaction there. Yes. And I encourage our listeners to just do as you did and try to come from a place of responding instead yes. of reacting. Because yes. a reaction is to uncertainty and it's a reflex, yes. but yes. to respond is intentional. And yes. I love that steamroll. It's um, 
I like to say you, we need to stop dragging them from the front and support them from behind. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you see that yes. drag from behind. I've got this. I'll, I'll show you where to go. Yes, um, yes, yes, yes. Um, heading yes, we back, don't need to flatten it. They, they're no. very good at managing speed bumps. Yeah, and that's like that diversity in experience mm. and that understanding of where you are in the world yes. is your basis and your foundation for understanding of yourself mm. as an individual and then where you belong. Mm-hmm. Not just within socially, environmentally, yep. um, yes. emotionally as well. But yes. if we don't do that physically, we're kind of... Yes trying to navigate, someone's turned off the lights, we're navigating our identity in the dark and our social and emotional in the dark. So switch the lights on and it's pretty bright outside, isn't it? It is. (laughs) Can I offer you the third solution? So we've had our third one, which is a new one, which uh, initiative, which is very exciting, is our Intergees project, which is an intergenerational project. Um, And unlike a lot of traditional ones where the children go and visit aged care facilities. We advertise, we start off as a trial, advertise for active retirees, which is what I am. (laughs) That's what I am. You know, I was meant to be. Um, Active retirees um, who initially did a small trial, so, you know, we made sure they had their working with children check, police check, all the rest of it. And they came in into the environment and sat and were with the children. Well, this has been going on for a couple of years now. And out of our six integers who were all local, you know, so um, it's very easy for them to come. They come into the centre, they sign in, sign out, all of that. We have a couple of men, and it's really interesting, who have never been fathers, which I find absolutely fascinating. Three yeah. of our six uh, integers do have never been parents. So, but they have that wonderful connection with children, and they just sit and are with them and sit alongside them. And they love Bubba Bush. Mm. So they are an extra pair of hands when we go into the bush. And I've got a gorgeous photo of one of our uh, integers who is six foot two, like a beanpole, um, with his back and holding the hand of a two-year-old. So it's mm. just gorgeous. You know, it's it's this – I call him the poster boy of integers because it's so gorgeous. But so that's another pair of hands. So having these elderly wise – people who just have a genuine regard and fondness for children uh, who are just there to support and help and are just there with them. Um, both they, they they love both our Bubba Bush but also too when they come to visit, just going sitting outside with the children, sitting alongside them. Yeah. And the children will come and sit and crawl over them, chat to them. Okay. So that's that's another one. Yeah. That's that's a lovely another one of the social engagement that we have. For people who, because they don't have children themselves and go, they would have no contact at all yeah. with um, a childcare centre. Absolutely. And observation is that we're coming back to that mentoring again, be yes. it an intentional mentoring or a passive mentoring yes. through your Intergees program yes. um, and then yes. mentoring your families in practice as well. Yes. Um, for a person, what a scenario that I come across time and time again, I'll have – someone in the sector, a leader that wants to be involved in the sustainable practices, um, mm-hmm. maybe a bit younger without the years of wisdom or maybe even not the respect of older staff, but they're really mm-hmm. trying to drive um, their sustainability mm-hmm. learning program and mm-hmm. they're coming up with the challenge time and time again. I'm really trying, but other people mm-hmm. aren't getting on board with it. Um, what yeah. some advice you can give to those people struggling to get their centre on board, and that's over the uh, dealing with the overwhelming feeling, like feeling like it's only them up against everything. Yeah. Again, I think there's a couple of things. There's you've you've really got to what is it? Um, you've got to divide to conquer. I think there's a couple of things. I think to drive any change, and I, I learnt this from my mentor teacher way back in the late '60s. If you're taking something away. And I remember she saying, if you're taking something away from teachers, you've got to replace it with something. Mm. So if we're taking away the the way that you've always done things, like, but I've always laminated this, or I've always, yeah. you've got to make sure you replace it with something, okay? I have five different ways, five alternatives to laminating, which I've put up, and we, our laminator broke down, fortunately, has not been replaced. Yeah. It's been fantastic. So number one, I think, is... Making sure that if you're taking, if you're if you're removing that, we're going to be doing this. We're going to be recycling this. We're not, going, you know, this is this new thing which a lot of people are fearful of. And I, so I think it's making it very clear, making it very practical, mm. making it relatively easy 
and making sure that it's baby steps, just like with, with uh, children. What's the first little step that we can achieve? What might that look like? Keep your eye on the prize so that you don't lose that. And I think alongside all this highly practical is the other part of it, which is the passion. Yeah. Why are we doing this? You know, so how many photographs do you need to see of turtles uh, with, you know, plastic um, ring can things through their nose, seabirds whose tummies are full of um, microplastics. And for us who are right next to uh, Port Phillip Bay, that's a real thing. Mm. Um, you know, how much more rubbish do we need to see on shorelines? Um, how much, you know, do you need to really paint that box in acrylic paint because you want to turn a cardboard box that came in into a car? No. Is there an alternative? You know, so there's some, that's a whole other probably conversation we can have. Um, but I think it's that people tend to go, there's a lot of things now, I think, in sustainability that are uh, kind of what people think are established practice or I think quite small responses. Mm. One of my favourite sayings is um, you haven't really recycled that, you've just delayed its journey to landfill, mm. okay? So if we're going to turn a something into a something else, it, that would eventually will end up in landfill when it's finished being if that's finished yeah. uh, being done with. So let's start looking at real solutions, which is why we got into our zero food waste. I thought that was a goal. I thought, yeah. no, the technology's out there. You know, there are anaerobic digesters, which I would love to have bought one for the centre. We didn't. Yeah. So, But we tapped into a firm that comes in and takes away all of our food waste. So that's something that's very manageable for us. Yeah, so that was just a – see, that reflection and has got you to a point to – just implement one thing that governs has a great outcome over so many other things. And if yes. we can reflect on and think of, okay, what's this one rule that's going to rule them all? Okay, yes. zero food waste is going to dictate yes. this, all those practices yes. down the line. Yes. Um, yes. And then the reuse of like into your loose parts. If we're yes. taking this specific item, this, this paper yes. goes here and it's just that yes. one thing that's as right. well. Yeah. Um, Yes. I think it's know. the information too, you know, like our huge loose parts and just it, that's a challenge, you know, trying to get everybody on board with loose parts. What does that look like? Um, but an understanding, I think, too, just like with the children, it's a journey. This is very new for people. Yeah. Yep. And going into loose parts, um, yes. how's that been picked up? Because it's something you've been trialling for years now and yes. um, some little resources you found along the way that I was quite jealous of at the time. Um, <laughs> little bags of goodies everywhere for great play yes. outcomes. Um, yes. How is that going and how's the implementation gone? Okay, that's a really good question, another good one. Well, it's really interesting because uh, I think when you came, the Loose Parts Library was in canvas bags, all beautiful, and down the back of the corridor, down mm. past the kinders, and so it became a bit of a dumping ground. Mm. So a bit like um, the uh, Recycle Swap Shop. So what happened was I uh, got rid of the metal shelving, we got hold of some other shelving, and it's right up near the front, up near um, our atrium, so it's on display. Um, and I went from as much as I loved the canvas bags, they weren't practical, I got um, see-through plastic containers. Yeah. So it was very easy when educators came up, they could see what was here and just take it and then replace it. It's not a perfect system because, again, it's like a shared house. There are 65 people also using it. Um, so, you know, I regularly have to go through and maybe cull things or rearrange things or whatever. But, again, it's that I think once people start to see what you can do, what the children do with loose parts and how magical they are, yeah. And when we see the children being these confident, competent learners, these children being connecting and connect and um, contributing to the world by you know, engaging the most incredible play. Um, one of the other things that's been big for us has been our Christmas card, Easter card, da da da, gift da da da. No, so we do a loose parts card. So they might do an outline of a heart for Mother's Day, or they might do a Christmas tree outline, and then the children. Uh, infill however they like with Christmas themed items if you like which we keep using year after year after yeah. year photograph is taken and printed onto a, a paper or card for the yeah. families okay nice and and so we let families know that too yeah how's the um 
how's the feedback been from parents going into loose parts? Because sometimes there's a bit of stigma around, yep. well, yep. why is my child playing with rubbish? Um, I think because we got on board early. Yep. I think because we let them know. I think the way it was presented, um, the way it was shown, um, all the evidence we had around the rooms. And I think that was one of the other things, understanding what's happening with loose parts. You know, I've done a few workshops with um at different centres and people say, oh, yeah, we love the loose parts. And I said, okay, now the next part. So when a child puts a cork and then puts something on top of the cork and then does that three or four times, what are they showing you? What are they telling you? And the educators go, um, okay, that's one-to-one correspondence. That's early mathematics. You know now that you don't need to teach that to that child. That child already has an understanding of that early mathematical concept. And I think once you start to, the educators start to realise, there's rich learning going on here. So the parents are understanding these kids are playing with rubbish. These children are actually exploring and developing mathematical concepts because you see that an awful lot. They're also doing, it's also STEM. If having to balance this thing on top of something else, right, working together socially, problem solving, how do I get this thing to stay there? Because I want it to do that because, whatever, yeah. okay? How do you convey think- that to the families? I think through your observations, I think through either your weekly memos, however you do yep. that, through your your stories. Again, I think it's really important beginning to have that mentor mm. because once that, pardon me, once they see that, oh, right, okay, yeah, that's oh, that's what the child is showing me. That's what they're demonstrating. Yeah. So you don't need to reinvent the wheel. You're current, using your existing delivery program like yes. observations and yes. the regular, but you're just changing yes. the content. Is that yes. what, correct? exactly. Yes, and the other beautiful thing, of course, is we don't need to buy um, lots of toys. Stuff. In fact, one of the things, <laughs> stuff, yeah, <laughs> the joy of not stuff. Um, like one of my favourite things when I do my workshops um, um, is I have it, I make it very, because it's a lot of the stuff is often geared towards kinders. Yes. There's not, I find there's always not a lot of stuff for toddlers and babies. Mm. And I've got some beautiful photographs with one of our, one of my very first um uh, educators who was in the baby's room and she'd put out some tissue boxes because we have lots of those yep. tissue boxes and what did the children found there was something else she'd put out and of course these babies were doing in the schema of enclosing picking up something putting inside a tissue box and rattling it yeah and of course you know and the beautiful wooden or plastic rattle over there on the ground had been abandoned yep. because it was single use yep. it was a predicted outcome and the whole point with loose parts is the child is in control. The child engages and connects to the world. The child is the one, you know, they don't have a stronger voice than that. You know, a, a child, who's a toddler who's barely standing, can barely walk, picking up something, putting it inside something, and then they realise when they walk it moves yeah. and it makes a noise. How exciting is that? Yeah, and what else is exciting to speak to you and hear about this love and passion for sustainability and how easily mm. it lo- links mm. into loose parts Yes. And something I can relate to and are very passionate about. Um, mm. What I'd like to ask, what are you most excited about of what happening for you and um, within the children you influence in the world? And also at Baba, moving forward, what's your big, hairy, audacious goals, if you will? <laughs> oh, thank you. That's a really good, another good one. Um, I think our current focus at the moment is our connection with um uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. How do we make how do we make a wrap our reconciliation action plan? How do we embed that so it's not this tokenistic dot painting or da da da? You know, we do an acknowledgement of country. Um, we become aware of symbols. Actually, I'm currently playing around with the idea with early literacy. I'm thinking, you know, for a culture that was. Um, an oral oral culture rather mm. than necessarily a written one. But they did. They did write, of course, yeah. but they were often in the sand or in an ochre or whatever. I'm thinking, why aren't we teaching if we if we so uh, why aren't we teaching the alphabet? Why aren't we teaching indigenous symbols as well? Mm. You yeah. know? So which it, to me lends beautifully to in the sand, in the dirt with rocks, with pebbles, with whatever that might look like. So that part I'm very excited about. The other thing is moving towards um, at the front of Bubba, uh, since you since you came to visit, we have had three large, you know, there's big uh, community crate garden, yep. crate gardens delivered. One of them I grew herbs, one of them I grew vegetables, another one I grew some local Indigenous plants. 
the herbs have shriveled up and died, the, the vegetables have all been eaten, and the things that are thriving are the indigenous plants. So yeah. I'm thinking, okay, that's an area I don't know much about and I would like to, not necessarily bush tucker. Mm. Um, I've only just discovered there's a whole range of native mints that um, are totally safe to eat that the, the children can access. And I'm just thinking, let's go on that journey and discover that. So for me, that's what's exciting for me. Alongside that are these books and, um, uh, yes, I, picture books with the language that as the educators read it to the children, they are embedding into their own interactions with the children very positive language, if that makes sense. Yep, definitely. Well, thank you so much for chatting today. Your <laughs> passion and dedication to the sector is second to none. Um, I'm sure our listeners have got so much out of today. I look forward to checking in with you and the work you're doing at Bubup. And I just want to say thank you for that dedication to mentoring these younger generations into being connected with nature, environment and country and your dedication to our world as a whole through that sustainability learning program that you run. It's inspiring and I've got to thank you so much on behalf of our listeners as well. Lucas, thank you. Thank you for allowing me and being your, uh, to the opportunity to do it. It's, again, it's, it's the only way it's going to happen. Thank you very much. It's been um, lovely. Finally, would you have any recommendations for our listeners on where they, um, some resources they could look up that you use um, mm -hmm. to implement your program so we can get a bit mm -hmm. of an action step? They're feeling inspired after listening yep. to you. So where yep. to now? Where would you point okay. them? Okay. I think um, there's some great stuff around um, loose parts. You, you Google up loose parts, there's heaps of stuff out there now. There's a couple of fabulous books. When I first started, there was one. Yeah. Now there's, oh, I can't recall it off the top of my head, the name of the author, but loose parts books. Then there's ones for babies and toddlers. Now there's three and four. So loose yeah. parts, there's lots of educators are doing that. There's lots of good stuff out through there. Um, inspired early Inspired EDC, they have some lovely stuff on Schema, okay, yep. the group that um, I think Teacher Tom and also Mark Armitage, yep. uh, the play guy does. So they, they've got some really nice stuff. Um, the Interduce Intergenerational Program, well, I've just oh, I presented that at conference last year. I do have a PowerPoint. If people want to try to contact me, I can send them through that. Yep. We'll put um, your email in the show notes as well if yes, that's okay. Yes, please do. Brilliant. People would like that. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Um, so what else do we talk about? We talk about interpa yep. <laughs> loose, loose parts, sustainability. Um, yeah. And um, I'll put the bub up um, website in the notes Yes, as please well. do. Okay. Please do. Okay, Perfect. good. That will keep people busy. Once again, thank Fair. you so much for your time. Thank My you pleasure. for your passion. Look forward to chatting to you again in another episode. Thanks, Lucas. Thanks so much. Bye. Chat soon. Join us again soon on a Worthy Play It Forward podcast. Um, all links and references are in the show notes. Thanks so much and look forward to you joining us again soon.